0: We all battle with thoughts of discouragement at different times in our lives, isn't it? No matter how much we achieve and the amount of progress we make in our lives, discouragement tries to infiltrate our defenses of our life. Someone secular said this about discouragement. He said, the measure of greatness in a person's life can be measured by what it takes to discourage him. Discouragement can come to us by the means of losing our courage, we lose our hope, and we end up losing our confidence to move forward. Discouragement is sometimes that subtle voice in our head that says, you are not good enough. You are alone. You will not finish what you have started and such voices that come into our mind. And discouragement very often causes people to feel defeated and want to give up in the things that they're doing for the Lord or in their personal lives. Discouragement is deadly. It can get people of God off track, and a discouraged heart is the enemy's tool. Let me talk to you about two things that the enemy tries to take us away from the will of God. One is discouragement and the second one is depression. These are all the tools of the enemy. Are you going through any kind of discouragement today? If you are going through one, you have come to the right place. I want to talk to you as to how to overcome discouragement from the book of Haggai chapter 2. This message is going to focus on how in the world we maintain our peace in the midst of the turmoil that God intends us to experience. Remember, every event in our life is ordered by God. And even if we go through some unsettlement, go through some discouragement in our lives, God is using these things in our lives presently to prepare us for the eternity ahead of us. So even when we go through those circumstances of discouragement, God knows it and God is preparing us because sometimes we have to go through this process of this troubled world and this sinful world and one of the ways is discouragement and how we can face discouragement and understand God's peace in the times of discouragement. First of all, we must understand that discouragement is universal and it is common and it doesn't happen once It keeps recurring at different times in our lives. And what is courage? Courage is the ability to fight, to face challenges boldly, and to keep getting up in face of adversity, in face of discouragement, to have a comeback spirit. When the discouragement says that you cannot make it, courage in the Lord says, I will come back and I will come back strongly. When you are courageous, You overcome obstacles, pursue dreams, and fight big battles. But when we are discouraged, we give up on all things that God does in our lives. Courage gives us hope even in the face of negative circumstances. However, when we are discouraged, we become frustrated, defeated, confidence weakens, and we see ourselves as failure. If courage is the need, What is the cause of discouragement? Probably everything in the world, right from the COVID-19 to a financial crisis, job crisis, political crisis, cultural crisis, family crisis, and so on. Many things can cause discouragement in our lives. My dear brothers and sisters, we must understand that you are not the only person facing discouragement in life. Both in the Old Testament and New Testament, great men of God Face discouragement. Look at Moses, for example. He had to run away from Egypt in discouragement, never knowing that he can ever recover from that setback. But God brought him back with a great power back to Egypt. Look at Elijah. Elijah was discouraged. A great man of God who prayed and called fire from heaven. At one moment of time, he said, Lord, I want to die. I don't have any more hope to go forward. Elijah was discouraged. Can you imagine Jeremiah was discouraged? Job was discouraged when his children died and his wife talked against him. Job, the great man of faith, went through discouragement in his life. And you come to the New Testament. One of the great apostles, Apostle Peter, he had his own times of discouragement. He failed Jesus three times. He was discouraged. But all these people never made their stop in discouragement. They got up and moved forward and God used them powerfully. The good news is when discouragement comes, you must understand that it's not final. We can rise up and move forward and do great things for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are sitting over here discouraged, I want to tell you, God is right in your presence. God has a plan for what you're going through. Rise up and see the discouragement from God's perspective. God will turn it all out for his good in his time. Can I hear an amen, church? We are studying the book of Haggai and last uh, uh, week we studied chapter 1. Haggai is a prophet who is a post-exilic prophet. The children of Israel came back from the captivity in Babylon. Their first project was to rebuild the ruins of the Jerusalem temple. It was absolutely in ruins. In the first two years of the return in 536 BC, they started working on the temple with great enthusiasm. But after some time, they felt that the permits are not coming from the government. There is no enough finances and people got discouraged and they started working on their own houses than working on the house of God. And we know that anytime we lose priority of our life, we give more priority for our secular job than God. We give more priority for our friends and relationships than the relationship with God. God intervenes. God does not let it happen that way. And God intervened. All they harvested was little. All they worked was money that was put into purses with holes in it. That's what Haggai rose up as a prophet of God and told the children of Israel, consider your ways, consider your priorities. You have gone away from me. And as part of the covenant curse has come to you right now. And then that's the message number one. And the message number two is when people repented of their sins. In the last part of chapter one, we can find that the moment God spoke through the prophet Haggai, they rose up, they went to the mountains, they took timber and they came to work on the temple of God. 23 days, immediate obedience, the work of God got started. The temple work got started. And God spoke again, the second message through Haggai in the fall of the year 520 BC. God said, I am with you. You see what happens? The moment we take a step in line with God's plan and purpose in our lives, we receive the presence of God and he gives us the power to complete our task. So that is chapter one of Haggai. But come to chapter two of Haggai. The people of God are now working enthusiastically in the temple of God, in the temple project that is the second temple project of Jerusalem. And they're bringing timber and they're self-motivated and they are lead, Zerubbabel and Joshua and Haggai are encouraging them. But we must understand that discouragement can come at any time. There were some old folks over there, some people about 80 and 90 years of age. And these people were even there when the Solomon's temple was in place. Now, remember Solomon's temple, it is a grand building. It's a huge building, glorious temple, glorious days of Israel's history. And these people who have seen the glory of Solomon's temple, they have seen the fall of Jerusalem. They have seen the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem. These old folks have gone all the way to Babylon, been in exile for 70 years, and they have come back to build the new temple of God. And these old folks are probably not working on the temple because they are old and the young generation of people are working enthusiastically. And we can find that in Ezra chapter 3 and it's verse 12 to 13. Look at what happens when they reconstruct the temple in 536 BC. But many of the older priests, these are the old folks. And Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. So when they saw the foundation of the new temple, the older folks who have seen the glory and the majesty of the old temple, they started weeping and mourning and loudly crying. And why are they weeping? Because they felt that what they are building now is nothing compared to the old glory of Israel. And Josephus, the Jewish historian says to us that the new temple, the second temple in Jerusalem was half the size of the first temple built by Solomon. So by default, anybody would say that what you are building is nothing. But what happened? In its verse, it says in Ezra chapter 3 verse 12, it says, Wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others, who are these many others? The new generation, the young people who have not seen the old temple, the young people who are enthusiastic in working on the new temple, they shouted for joy. On one side there is rejoicing, on the other side there is mourning. And look at that, what the Bible says in verse 13. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. Those who are crying made so much of noise. Those who were shouting made so much of noise. And the sound was heard far away. Look at the reality of human life. While some people are rejoicing, some people are mourning. And here they are constructing the second temple in Jerusalem. They are doing God's work. The older folks are looking at the temple and probably even now they are discouraging them and they are crying and telling, you are doing nothing compared to what we saw in our days, in our young days. We worked probably for that building. And we worked in taking care of that building, probably the priests are telling. And now this is nothing compared to what you are doing and discouragement set in to the people. And that's when God decided, I'm going to deliver the third message to the people of God. My dear brother, my dear sister, are you going through a phase of discouragement in your life? If you like it or not, at various times in our lives, discouragement can come through various ways. Even from ways that we never thought that discouragement can come, discouragement can set in. I was just looking at some of the reasons why people get discouraged. And the reason why we go through discouragement can be brought under these five umbrellas, what I'm going to give to you now. The source of discouragement. What causes discouragement in our lives? Number one is unfulfilled expectations. We get discouraged when our expectations are not met. We have a great plan for our life. And when our life is not moving according to our expectation, there are tendencies that we can get discouraged. If you did not get the flowers and cards on that special day, if you thought you would be getting from that particular loved one and that family, you can easily get discouraged. If we did not get the job that we were hoping to get, we can tend to get discouraged, unfulfilled expectations. If you did not get the promotion in your workplace that you deserve to get, and it went to somebody who is not performing as much as of you, you can get discouraged. If you did not get good marks that you were hoping for, young boys and girls, you can easily get discouraged. If you did not get the award that you thought you deserved, you can get discouraged. Unfulfilled expectations can cause discouragement in our lives. Second reason for discouragement is unexpected losses. The loss of a job. You are going all suddenly everything and suddenly you have lost your job. Suddenly it can bring in a lot of discouragement and depression into your lives. The loss of a loved one. The loss of children at birth and later. You know, how discouraging it is when parents wait for a child to be born and there is a stillborn birth. I've had many occasions in my pastoral ministry where children were born at five months of age, some were born at term, and died in a day. Those funeral services are not attended by many people. Myself glory Sometimes I've used my own car to take that baby and the parents because they are so desperate. Put them in a shoebox, go to the cemetery and very silently do a burial and see the disappointment and discouragement in the eyes of the parents. Sometimes the death of a loved one or a spouse, unexpected death of a spouse at a young age can bring discouragement in our lives. Loss with natural calamities, earthquakes, tsunami, floods can bring in discouragement in our lives. Loss in business, you have invested a lot of money trusting somebody and things did not turn out to be good and people can have various reasons of loss why you can be discouraged. The next umbrella of discouragement comes under the umbrella of unjustified criticisms. You have been criticized. People question the intention of your heart. You never meant to do wrong, but people are questioning your intention, integrity, and you have been criticized. People are talking about you, and you can feel so discouraged. The book of Ezra serves as a historical background for the book of Haggai and the construction of the second temple, and here they are discouraged because of unjustified criticisms regarding the work of the temple of God. Are you going through criticism? Are people misunderstanding your goodwill? There are chances that you can be discouraged. That's fourth one. The reason for discouragement is unresolved conflicts. Sadly, we like to have peace. But the world that we are living in does not give us peace always. People who are good to you now can become bad to you later. And from quarters especially with families, siblings, and uh, our close friends and relatives, if they start to bring a problem with us or there are conflicts there, it is tough to go to bed at night, right? You become so discouraged. You become as a failure. Children having problems with siblings, parents having problems with children. The joy of the life is eaten away by the devil at such times. And that's why the Bible says, in Matthew chapter five, verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Friends, it is very difficult to bring peace into a conflict. As a pastor, I've seen to bring two people at different ends to bring them together. At the end of the day, I'm dealing with people's dirt and I will also catch up some dirt. But then, it is God-like to be a peacemaker between people who are in conflict. And sometimes when people are in conflict with me, it takes time, it becomes godly character for me to know that this person is in conflict and to resolve the conflict with that. But in spite of all that, I still have regrets. My dear friends, over my years of pastoral ministry, there have been conflicts I have never able to resolve. And how discouraging can it be in our own lives, unresolved conflicts. And the fifth reason why we can get discouraged is unrealistic comparison. Unrealistic comparison is a habit of measuring your life against others and is one of the most toxic behaviors we can engage in. When we compare our lives, when we compare our wealth, when we compare our children, when we compare our looks, we can get very very discouraged unrealistic comparisons sometimes others compare us with somebody now not only that we compare we also go through situations where parents compare the children with other children and the children can get so discouraged look at that child look at this brother's son and how are you no we can never compare our children with somebody else it discourages them you know and sometimes we compare ourselves with other people And what is the problem with comparison? The idea is the grass is greener on the other side is a wild misconception fueled by jealous evaluation that often leads to stress and anxiety. Social media is one area where we can easily be discouraged. In our free times, what do we do? Go to the Facebook, go to the Instagram and see others' posts. And if you are not guarding yourself, Social media is one area where we can easily be discouraged. The number of followers the others have. I'm a better musician than them, but he has more followers. The number of likes my friend is getting compared to my likes. Social media can really drain us out and make us discouraged if we are not careful. When you look at somebody's picture that they are married, and you are praying for your own marriage, it's not happening on social media and so many people are commenting about it, you can easily get discouraged. When you are praying for a child for a long time, and God has not yet given you a child, and God is making you wait for it, and when somebody, your friend has married, and they've got a child, and they've put up the photos on Facebook or Instagram, it can easily bring discouragement into our lives. Comparison is a trap, and it leads to discouragement and depression somebody said, the reason we feel discouraged because of social media is because we compare our behind the scenes life with people's best life portrayed in social media. Let me read it again. The reason we feel discouraged because of social media is because we compare our behind the scenes life with people's best life portrayed in social media. And all these are reasons and causes for discouragement in our lives. And today, from the book of Haggai, I want to talk to you some basic principles on how to defeat discouragement. How to overcome discouragement in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Very simple and profound message, God is speaking to the children of Israel as they are rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Come with me to Haggai chapter 2, and it's verse 1 to 3. Haggai chapter 2, and it's verse 1 to 3. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, to Joshua the high priest, and the remnant of the people. So this message is addressed not only to the leaders, this message is addressed to the leaders as well as the people. People who are working because discouragement can come to anyone, irrespective of what your position is, irrespective of where you are in your life. You may be a failure, you may be going through a crisis time, or you may be going through the best time. Discouragement can come equally to any one of us. And God is addressing the leaders as well as the people about discouragement and see what God has to say. First of all, in verse 3, God is taking their attention to the old temple because that's where they were looking at and they were getting discouraged. And look at how God takes them backward, some 70, 80 years behind and asking them to look at the glory of the old temple. God is nailing the problem right over there. In verse 3, God is telling, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You know, God is really taking them to their past life and is telling them that discouragement happens when one is focused on the past, frustrated on the present, and forgetful of the future promise. These people were looking at the old temple, comparing the old temple to the new work of God and they were feeling discouraged. And God is telling them and taking them to the old temple picture and is telling, you will get discouraged if you are reminded of the past glory and if you are frustrated with what is happening now and if you are forgetful of the glorious promise of the future. Many times we get discouraged like that and God is speaking to us his word today. If we look at the past glory, the past finances, the past job, the past joy, very easily we can get discouraged. But if you also look at your present and look at your present with frustration, you carry about your day-to-day life with a lot of frustration, you can lose your joy and you can get discouraged. But if you have a focus of the future glory and the promises of God, the discouragement can be taken care of. So God develops the theme that don't look at the past. Many times God has spoken the scripture, but now he's developing the theme that don't look at the past glory. Don't get frustrated with what is happening around in your life now. I am involved in your life. You may feel that nothing is happening. You may feel that uh, you are not heading anywhere, but don't be frustrated. I am very much involved. Even if you feel that you are nothing compared to what it was in the past, God is promising you a glorious future in Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to see the stages of the temple at present. Okay. Two temples are in picture at present. And uh, what are the two stages of the temple? Number one is Solomon's temple, Which was completed in 957 BC. And that was the best temple, the glorious temple. And uh, they were talking about the former glory of the temple. And then that is the original temple, the first temple of God, uh, made in the picture of the tabernacle and then made as a temple in Jerusalem. Look at the second temple. The second temple is built on the same place, but by a person called Zerubbabel that we are discussing, okay? Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, he's undertaken the project and it is completed in 516 BC. This is temple in Haggai's day, the second rebuilt temple of God. I will stop over there and I'll come back to the third temple a little later, okay? And now what is God telling? Come to Haggai chapter 2 verse 4. First of all, God takes them to the past and telling them that don't be frustrated with uh, looking at the past and what is going on in the present. But I want to give you a command in the midst of your discouragement. This is the command of God to the people and it can be the command of God to us. Look at the command of God. Haggai chapter 2 and it's verse 4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Somebody needs to hear that today. Be strong. Brother, be strong, sister. Be strong, my dear child of God. Now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, you all people of the land. This is God's word. Don't look at the past. Don't be frustrated with what is happening and what is not happening. You look to me and you be strong in the Lord. If you look at Jesus Christ we can come out of our discouragement and we can be strong. So God here starts with three questions of discouragement and then he gives them a command, be strong. We need to be strong in the Lord. And then God gives them a promise. Come to Haggai chapter two and his verse four. God gives them a mandate and a promise. One is three uh, areas of past reflection on why they are frustrated and then a command of being strong. And then he is giving them uh, another mandate and a promise. What is the mandate? Be strong, verse 4. All you people of the land declares the Lord and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. So where does courage come from? Courage comes from work. Courage comes as you work for the Lord. Now you may ask me, Pastor, what is the work of the Lord for me? You are doing your secular job, that is your work as unto the Lord. You are being a housewife, that is your work as unto the Lord. And then you have the talents that God has given to you to use in the kingdom of God that also becomes an aspect of your work as unto the Lord. Wherever God has placed us in this world, you may be a doctor, you may be a teacher, uh, you may be a software engineer or whatever it is. You may be a therapist or whatever it is. Whatever you are working, that is a work unto the Lord. So God is telling this group of people who are discouraged, you be strong in the Lord. Carry about your work. Don't you think to yourself, when you are discouraged, the number one thing that takes hit in our life is our work. We face a lot of pressure in our work and we tend to underperform and it affects our work. Isn't it? Our productivity reduces and our scores come down and it affects our work. Children, when you are discouraged, what happens? The number one thing that happens is you stop studying. You neglect your studies, right? What God is telling, you will not find encouragement if you don't work, if you don't do your job. You don't look at your past. Don't be frustrated about what is happening. Look at me and be strong. And as you work, the work that God has given to you, as you continue that, you will find strength. And then what happens? When we start working, God is promising his presence to you. So if God's presence has to come to us, it does not come to us in the pity party of discouragement. It does not come into the pit when we are having self-pity and nobody understands me and I'm going through this discouragement. Nobody comes and entertains me. No, that doesn't happen that way. We need to rise up trusting on the Lord. And when we need to put our hands and feet into work and then comes the promise of God's confidence and then comes the promise of God's presence in our lives. Look at chapter 1 and it's verse 13. God is telling them, the moment you started to work, you went to the mountain and took the timber and you came to the temple and you started working. Look at what God said, I am with you. And now again, people have stopped working and they're feeling frustrated and discouraged. And God is telling you work and my presence lies with you. Can I hear an amen church? Amen. So don't look at the past. Don't be frustrated with what is happening now. You look unto the Lord and be courageous and bold and work. And then God's presence will be with you in the times of discouragement. And then God also says in uh, Haggai chapter 2 and verse 5. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Look at the third comment. And before that, God is giving them, reminding them of the covenant promise. What is it? When you walk out to the promised land, my presence is with you, right? And we have seen the presence of God in delivering them out of Egypt, in dividing the Red Sea. Read that verse again, verse 5. This is what I covenanted with you. This is what I promised you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. When you obeyed my voice and walked out of Egypt, I gave you my presence. And in my presence, with my spirit, I delivered you out of the clutches of Pharaoh I divided the Red Sea I led you in 40 years in the wilderness and supernaturally I took care of you in day and night. I divided River Jordan and brought you to the land of the Amalekites, the land of the giants which was impossible because my spirit was with you and it was my spirit who enabled Solomon to complete the temple of God and if I have led them thus far when you return to me the same spirit it rests on you and you will be able to complete the second temple work as you are working says the Lord. God reminded them of the covenant promise of his presence and look at what God says in verse 6 onwards, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations and what is desired by all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. God is telling, change your perspective. Look at me. I own the riches of the world. I own the wealth of the world. Silver and gold are mine. Everything in this world is mine. A million mountains are mine. The cattle on the mountains are mine. I am going to shake forth the blessings of God and my glory is going to pour out upon your life. Can you're an amen church. Amen. amen. Don't worry about that nothingness in your life. Can you imagine a ripe apple tree and uh, the fruit is so ripe, about to fall, and you just go and shake the tree. It just falls upon you. Likewise, God is telling, you just look at me, continue the work that you're doing. And like uh, heaven is mine, the gold and silver is mine, And I will fill your house with a greater glory than what you are experienced in Solomon's temple. God spoke to those people. So what is God telling to a discouraged heart? Number one, the promise of his presence. And secondly, God is talking to them, the promise of his peace. Come to Haggai chapter two, verse nine. God says, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. God is promising you his peace. Usually when we are discouraged, we lose our peace. We do not know what to do. Our hearts are so down. We have no way to go forward. So God is telling you get involved in the work of God. You be strong in the Lord. You work and I will give you my presence and I will also cover you with my peace. And today God is telling you, my presence is with you. My peace is with you. And that's enough for God to do greater things in your life. Jesus has left us with his peace. Jesus has left us with his presence. And what is the condition for the presence? Go to the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, we can find Jesus gives his disciples a command. Go into all the world, making disciples of all nations. As we are involved in the work of God, And I told you, what is the work of God? You do your secular jobs and again, use your talents there and use your talents in a little way in the kingdom of God, whatever time God gives you. That is the work of God for you. Not everybody can come into full-time ministry, right? So wherever you are working, serve God. And the talents, when you have time, serve in the kingdom of God. And as you serve, being a witness like the Great Commission and sharing the gospel, being the light and the salt, Then Jesus promises, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, the passage of the Great Commission. So only when we work, we have the presence of God. So God is telling, I will not only give my presence, I will give my peace to you. Have you come here without peace? Have you lost your joy and peace today? I want to exhort you in the Lord that God is filling you with his peace and his presence this time. And then God also promises his glory in the temple. In Haggai chapter two, verse nine, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. So God is promising greater glory, right? I want to interpret it that in our lives. And then I want to interpret it based on the temple passage that we are looking at now, right? In our lives, When we forget the past, when we stop getting frustrated with what is happening with our health or our work or our home, family, and when we look onto God and be bold and courageous, and when we work with all our heart, the work of God, God is promising us his presence, God is promising us his peace, and God is promising us his glory in our lives. So what did this glory mean? for the people of God. I want to come back to the temple diagram that we had, the chart that we had, and the three stages of the temple of Solomon. First was Solomon's temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, built in 957 BC, but destroyed as Jerusalem was sieged by Nebuchadnezzar and his army. And second temple is that we are discussing now at the time of Haggai, the prophet, and it was completed in 516 BC. But this temple was nowhere compared to the glory or the looks of the Solomon's temple. So we can find that they worshipped in the second temple for a long time and uh, post the exilic period and even through the dark ages between Malachi and Matthew. But when the king, Herod the Great, half Jew, half Edomite, he comes to the throne. He's not a God-fearing man. He's a cruel king. But to please the Jews... He wanted to rule over the Jews and he was also a friend of the Roman Caesar. So to bring peace in the Jerusalem area that he ruled, he decided to beautify the temple, right? He spent around 40, 45 years on beautifying uh, the second temple And that expanded the temple portico and temple place, the temple that uh, Zerubbabel built. On the same temple, he beautified it. And uh, I think it is AD 20, it was completed. And that temple was destroyed by the same Romans, right? The Romans came and destroyed the temple and there is no temple there in Jerusalem if you look at the maps today or the photos today. It was completely destroyed At AD 70 by the Romans, right? Now, where is the glory of the temple? What happened to the prophecy of Haggai? What happened to the glory of the latter temple than the first temple? This prophecy was not concerning this temple because the first temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed. But God was sending a temple that can never be destroyed. Even if it was destroyed, that temple would be rebuilt in three days. Come with me to the Gospel of John. Chapter 4, verse 20 to 24. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman. And uh, that Samaritan woman is answering back Jesus. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. That time the temple is standing. The second temple, beautified temple is standing. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe in me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So that sort of temple worship is over when Jesus came. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. And has come now when the true worshippers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipper the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the prophecy regarding the glory of the temple was not comparing to the Solomon's temple, nor about uh, Zerubbabel's temple, nor the beautified temple. It was some other meaning about the glory of God, where it resides in the New Testament. Do you know that Jesus on the Passion Week, he cursed the fig tree. He cursed the fig tree. He went to the fig tree uh, and he saw that the fig tree did not have fruit. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to 21, Jesus looks at the tree for fruit and not finding the fruit, he curses the fig tree. And then Jesus goes to the temple and overthrows the money changers. Actually, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was doing a very symbolic act. The fig tree talked about the temple. It talked about the Jewish religious customs, right? And when Jesus went to that fig tree and he saw that it was not having fruit, in other words, Jesus came to the Jewish people, and instead of maintaining sanctity at the temple, instead of maintaining the religious system, they had turned into a religious and ritualistic custom, taking people further away from the presence of God. They had an outer court for the Gentiles, where they had brought in a great barrier. So Jesus indirectly is going to the fig tree and he's telling, you guys are without fruit. And you are without fruit. I am cursing you. And then he walks to the temple. And he does something very symbolic. It's not that Jesus was angry and he just got angry at the spur of the moment and sudden anger outburst. No, he was doing something symbolic. When he got that anger, that righteous anger, and when he went and overthrew the money changers and left aside the cattles over there, he was telling, this temple's glory is over. This temple's spirit is over. I am the temple. And in this temple, the glory of God will reside, said Jesus. Hallelujah. And see what Jesus said in John chapter 2, verse 18 to 22. John chapter 2. Verse 18 to 22, the Jews then responded to Jesus, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them. What is the thing that Jesus did? In the gospel of John, the cleansing of the temple is brought earlier. It's one event, but brought earlier in the writings of John and they're asking, why are you doing it? What sign can you show us to prove your authority that you have come and overthrown the money changers in the temple? Jesus answered them in verse 19. Destroy this temple and I will rise it again in three days. It took 40 years to beautify Herod's temple. And they cannot understand that how can Jesus build a temple in three days? Verse 20, they replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you are going to raise it in three days? Verse 21. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So which is the glorious temple of God? Jesus Christ. And the prophecy in Haggai was about the coming of Jesus as the temple of God. Nobody understood it. But in verse 22 of John chapter 2, after he was raised from the dead, His disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus' body became that glory, greater glory, where the world, the Jews and Gentiles alike could come and find purpose and find hope in the times of discouragement. Can I hear an amen, church? And Jesus' body is not the only place where the temple is. In the New Testament writings of Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 onwards, look at that verse. Consequently, Paul says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation, Paul is talking about a building. Not a literal temple building, but a spiritual temple building. Built, where are we? We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. If Jesus became the temple, he became the cornerstone for our temple. And verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together. And rises to be a holy temple in the Lord in the church in the body of Christ uh, resides the glorious presence of the almighty God and God is glorified when the people come together on a Sunday morning and worship God here is the glorious temple of God thousands of churches are meeting worldwide and the glory of God is all over the world as the church and the believers are meeting together in verse 22 and in Him. You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. His glory resides when we come together as a church of God. And it is not only in the church, not only on Jesus, not only in the church, but you yourselves are the temple of God. When you disperse from the church and when you go into the marketplace, the byways and highways, the hospitals and schools of bangalore in first corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 do you not know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit who is in you with whom you have received from god we ourselves become a temple of god where god in his fullness comes and dwells in our midst can i hear an amen church That is the prophecy given to Haggai. And this temple is not just over over here. It has got an eschatological culmination at the end of the ages. That is going to be the greater glory of the temple of God. What is it? Jesus is coming back again. And we who are the carriers of the presence of God, the church and Jesus together will dwell together for all eternity. And that is the glory of the latter temple prophesied in the book of Isaiah. I just want to conclude. Where do you find encouragement in the time of discouragement? The glory of God is right inside of you. How much overweak we are, how much discouraged we are, you just look inside of you and feel the presence of God. You are the temple of God. He has given you and sealed you with his spirit. And that God is telling you today, be strong be courageous, work, don't give up. My presence is with you, my peace is with you and my glory is with you. Before I close today, I want to give you some quick tips. I spoke the word of God, I brought in an exegetical message from there but I want to give you some quick tips to overcome a discouragement. Number one, if you're going through discouragement, be honest, don't fake it. Tell God, Lord, I am discouraged. You cannot take action against a negative spirit unless you admit to the Lord that you have it. A strong Christian is not somebody who never experiences negative feelings. It is someone who has learned to do what? The right thing when such feelings have come. Secondly, take care of your body. When you are discouraged, It is by all probability that you neglect your body. You will not have appetite. You will not eat on time. And if your body is weak, it will rattle you. It will upset your whole rhythm. And the devil really plays around with such people. Have you ever noticed the time you were discouraged that your hunger just dies down? Don't feel like eating? But God is telling, take care of your body. Eat well. What is a biblical proof? Remember when Elijah was discouraged, he was under a tree, broom tree, and he wanted to die. And what did God do? God said in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5 to 6, then Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Because God knows that our bodies are also important to overcome the setbacks in our emotions. Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. So, take care of your body. When you are discouraged, don't neglect yourself. Our bodies are the temple of God and God has given to us and we need to take care of the body. Eat well. Thirdly, pay attention to your thought life. What are the kinds of thoughts that are coming into your mind? Thoughts of destruction, negative thoughts, thoughts of failure. Take every thought captive to the word of God. We need to work with God for this, right? Make every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And as children of God, you need to think truthfully and then put in what God spoke to Haggai, work, don't give up. Whatever you're doing, do it with all your heart. For such people, God promises His presence. I am with you. He promises His peace. I will give you peace. And He promises His glory. My glory is with you.